from the National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. The pro-life movement experienced a few setbacks this week in three states' elections, including Ohio, where voters decisively approved a ballot referendum that expands abortion access and adds a new right to abortion to the state constitution. We talked to EWTN's Prudence Robertson about November 7th election results, the latest GOP debate, and the formidable challenges the pro-life movement faces ahead. Then we turn to a very different kind of crisis, the one faced by Christians in the Middle East. We talk to Lebanese journalist Elias Turk from EWTN News' Arabic language news agency, Asimena. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and your host of Register Radio. I'm joined by my co-host Matthew Bunsen, EWTN News' Vice President and Editorial Director. Matthew, it is very good to be in the studio in Washington and to be joined by Prudence here in the studio. It's not very often that we get to be in the same room. We are always happy when you're in Washington. It's just good. <laughs> it, it feels right, you know, um, although I love my home in Louisiana. So, um, But it's a, it's a little bit of a sad week to, to be here. Yeah. Um, election results were not great for the pro-life movement. Um, voters in the Republican stronghold, usually anyway, of Ohio, approved an amendment to the state constitution, which guarantees that, and I quote, every individual has a right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, including but not limited to abortion. A lot packed into that prudence. I'm very, uh, you know, I'm sure much of the pro-life movement, much of your audience is pretty devastated by uh, what happened in Ohio. Um, What did you see there? Yeah, people are devastated. People are disappointed. Um, I spoke to Brian Hickey from the Ohio Catholic Conference on the show this week. He said it's really a a week full of sorrow for Mm -hmm. pro-life Ohioans. And I think really the the reason that people are so devastated by this is that it's not the first time we've seen a failure. This is stacked on top of multiple failures um, at the ballot box on abortion. And, you know, conservatives are saying that we were simply outspent and the amount of money and messengers from the pro-abortion side really outnumbered what the pro-life movement had to offer in the state. But mm-hmm. I can't help but think that there might be a little bit of a deeper issue here. You know, we really have to step back and and take a moment to realize we've been losing in these political battles. And um, obviously we have to try and figure out why. Um, I think it could potentially be an issue of sort of a hierarchy of needs, if you think about it. Um, There's so much other devastation that we're seeing in our country. Conservatives are concerned about... Um, the fact that they can't afford diapers, they can't put food on the table. And um, I think I think they might be distracted by that and having a hard time kind of thinking about this other deeply moral issue because it's not impacting them maybe as directly as, as other problems are. It, it um, could be they yeah. feel defeated already because mm-hmm. they see so much resistance. Um, I mean, Ohio wasn't the only place. We saw in Virginia, which is, you know, many of our colleagues live in Virginia because right. we're right here in Washington. And I know that you all were bombarded with ads uh, related to abortion. And there, it, it was a, another another challenging moment where the Democrats won control of both chambers after this avalanche of abortion 
minded advertisement, right? right? That's right. that was the whole point, right? And and I think what we're seeing, and then of course there's Kentucky, where the Democratic governor uh, Andy Andy Bashir won a second term. Um, in another race that's centered on abortion. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing this kind of over and over again. And one of the things that we are seeing is that for some voters, the abortion issue is motivating them. But you kind of wonder, are others already defeated when they see the amount of money being spent? When they, I mean, what do you make of just the string of of defeats. We can't all just be concerned about other things. Right. It's like, come on, get out there, right? <laughs> right. I think I think you're right that um, people are still concerned, but I think on, on top of all of this, what's hard for pro-lifers, what's not, what's kind of demotivating for them is the lack of clarity from leaders in the political movement who who claim to be pro-life. You know, we had That's the true. debate last night and, you know, you had Nikki Haley totally dismissive of a national, any sort of national limit on abortion. You have Chris Christie saying, well, strong pro-life laws are not just just not what the people of New Jersey want. And you have DeSantis, who's who's been, you know, kind of the champion of, of our movement in the eyes of many so far. Last night, he said this is a, quote, practical reality of a divided country. And that reality is that some babies are just going to go unsaved. Um, that's not acceptable to pro-life voters. And I think that you're you're hitting the nail on the head, Jeanette, when you say that a lot of our voter base just already feels defeated. So we're talking about candidates who are all over the map, yeah. uh, including Donald Trump. I know that he has said a lot of things that are very alarming to mm -hmm. the pro-life movement. But what is the current state of that movement, of the pro-life movement? Where are we in terms of a strategy? Because we're a year and a half now removed from the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade. Yeah, Matthew, that's a great question because I think there's a lack of strategy, and that's a major problem. You know, a year and a half out from Dobbs, thankfully, about half of states have passed very strong laws that ban nearly all abortions. But because of the overturn of Roe versus Wade, you have a highly motivated pro-abortion voter base that's getting out to the polls. And pro-life Americans are downhearted about the state of our nation, as we've been talking about. You know, um, there's a lot of infighting going on right here in D.C. Um, you have our leaders in Congress uh, concerned more with a vote series at 1 a.m. to fund the government. They're not thinking about you know, legislating on abortion. So we're kind of at a, a difficult standstill for our movement in terms of strategy. Um, and I'll just add to that, a lot of pro-lifers are hopeful that the Supreme Court will take up additional cases on abortion moving forward, particularly having to do with chemical abortion and um, protections for sidewalk counselors. But the Supreme Court seems somewhat demotivated to take up cases having to do with abortion because it's so controversial right, right now. So that's something else we have to think about, too. And in terms of a strategy, we're lacking. That's right, but it doesn't mean we can't do anything. And Absolutely. I think back to like the, the great movie, I don't know when it was, the 90s maybe, but Amazing Grace. Um, and it was about uh, the movement against slavery mm. in England. Mm. And it took years and years and years and years, and they started with politics, right? They really tried to go through government channels, and they realized that they really needed to move the culture uh, and that was going to happen in many different ways. And right. so, of course, we've known that as a pro-life movement. That's what we've been doing for, you know, the last um, decades, right. several decades. Right. Um, but that needs to continue. It's not over. Where do you see 
or how do you see that happening? Yeah, well, I think we as Catholics have a major role in this, kind of continuing to carry on the work of the pro-life movement despite these losses. Um, You know, I I don't want to be doom and gloom this whole time. And I will say that for every political loss, I've noticed and learned about a gain in terms of the resources we're providing for women. You know, just throughout our coverage this year, we've had the privilege of traveling to North Dakota, South Carolina, highlighting beautiful pregnancy resource centers in both of those states. We had the privilege of going to um, Texas to report on the Sidewalk Advocates for Life conference where we met people in every corners of our movement who are working to raise awareness about the plight of the unborn, the plight of women facing unexpected pregnancies. Um, And so the work is being done. We are the hands and feet of this movement. And to your point, Jeanette, you know, it took us 50 years to overturn Roe versus Wade. Um, So even though we're facing a little bit of a political political dry spell, um, hopefully we'll see an upturn at some point soon. And we have to keep praying and working towards that. Absolutely. Is there anything more that you would say to encourage a a typical pro-lifer? Because it is not a hopeful moment. (laughs) Um, Like you said, it feels like a lot of doom and gloom. And when we talk about the practical matters, we don't see a ton of light um, going into uh, the 2024 election. So uh, how do you encourage the pro-life movement? I think that tuning into coverage like EWTN is important right now, not to give us a shameless plug, but, you know. Well, an EWTN pro likely. <laughs> <laughs> well, every other media outlet is, is um, first of all, lying to you about the reality of things, um, the mainstream media. And they're just talking about the doom and gloom, and, and they're focusing on, on these political losses and making it seem like, the pro-life movement overturned Roe versus Wade and then kind of ceased to exist. We know that that's not true because we are that movement. We are doing everything that we can to save children. And um, I think it's important to just kind of surround yourself with that community that, that you know is working towards that. Um, And to just, to just be encouraged um, in, in what, what we know to be true. I have a question just as the last one. Yeah. Um, you know, you often hear that many, many people who might not have voted on abortion in the past are actually saying, you know, I just don't feel like I can make that choice for other people, even where I stand. They really are embracing, although it's not even said that much anymore, mm. the pro-choice mm. side of, yeah. of um, abortion access. Have you, in, in your work, talked to someone who has moved from that pro-choice mindset into the pro-life mindset? Because we kind of need to reflect on that right now. Yeah. I think every time that a person does kind of reach that level of conversion is is a, a miracle, you know, because, because it really does take a major shift in your thinking. Um, and also just learning the truth and the reality of things. Um, I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about the political state of our movement. And I have definitely noticed a switch of people talking about this really from a moral perspective, Mm -hmm. talking about the humanity of these unborn children, that's what's going to change minds and help people understand the truth and kind of spark that miracle to happen, you know, where they're going to have this conversion of heart. That's really where it begins. Um, And I I think it's important that 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 happens now because, you know, with with this Ohio vote, you had um, even a lot of Christians in that state, people who identify as conservative, some who even support Trump, um, but 
were against this amendment because they just thought it was too extreme, too extreme to um, to allow a heartbeat law to stay in effect. Um, so yeah, I think we keep we we have to pound on the truth, pound on the facts, um, so that people can can really can really understand what's at stake. Absolutely, and as as you often do, talking to those people who make the heroic choice, yeah. to uh, to stick with their pregnancy. Um, for the sake of that life that they know they bear, mm -hmm. even when it's going to be very, very difficult. And for those um, heroic men and women who help uh, women uh, in uh, um, difficult pregnancies yeah. to, to make that choice, that's the community that we need to build up right now because that speaks volumes. Right. So Prudence, thank you for the work that you do. Um, I know that our listeners love um, the Pro EW10 Pro-Life Weekly <laughs> and your work, so I, I really appreciate you being on with us today. Thanks, Jeanette, and thanks, Matthew. When we come back, we'll be joined by Lebanese journalist Elias Turk as we learn more about the plight of Christians in the Middle East. This is Register Radio. More when we return. If you need your news on the go, read the Register online. But if you want to take your time and savor the stories, then subscribe to the National Catholic Register's print edition. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try the Register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Join the Catholics who depend on the Register for its faithful and courageous reporting. Get six issues free today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and Catholic News Agency. I'm joined, as usual, by Matthew Bunsen, the Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News. And we're here in the Washington, D.C. studio with a colleague of ours that we don't get to see very often, Elias Turk. He's the Vatican editor of Asimena, EWTN News' Arab language news agency. Elias Turk, I recently found out, is actually the author of a book, which is, which is really uh, a, an accomplishment. It's called Lamp of Eternal Lights, the Biography of St. Charbel, uh, who is a saint that Register listeners and readers have been very interested in at ncregister.com. But we're here today to talk about uh, the Middle East, and this is uh, a region uh, that Elias covers on a very regular basis in a language that those people can understand. He covers topics uh, that they are deeply interested in, as, as well as the Vatican news, and, and of interest to all of us uh, Catholics and Christians throughout the world. Today we're talking about uh, the challenging topic of the plight of Christians in the Middle East. And so, Elias, welcome to Register Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we've been uh, really trying to cover as best we can this conflict uh, in Israel, between Israel and Hamas, 
We have talked a little bit about the plight of Christians. It's only 1.9%. Christians are only 1.9% of the Israeli people. That's the population there. It's about 184, 85,000, depending on what you see. And in Gaza, where this conflict uh, is happening, and, and there are so many uh, losses of life, life in these days. There are about a thousand uh, Christians in Gaza. And then in the West Bank, about 46,000. Those are the numbers we've been regularly reporting. And these people are faced with a plight right now, um, but you have been, your people have been faced with uh, this plight um, for, for many years. Just a lot of uh, tensions and anxiety in the entire region. I would, I would really be interested to know how uh, the Christians that you've been covering are handling this moment, especially in Israel. Yes, we we have been in touch uh, with uh, several Christians in Gaza and in the West Bank. Uh, they uh, they are living uh, the very difficult situation of violence. Last week uh, or a couple of weeks ago, the Church of Saint Porphyrius, a building next to the Church of Saint Porphyrius, was uh, bombed. Uh, and last week, also uh, a bomb exploded next to the door of the a Catholic parish in Gaza. Uh, the saint, uh, the Holy Family Parish. Mm -hmm. uh, so the Christians there are still uh, sh sheltering in these two um, churches, in these two parishes, uh, because uh, as uh, the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem has explained, Christians believe uh, it is the best place to be in right now, even if it is in Gaza City, mm -hmm. because they believe that the whole Gaza district is not safe. So wherever they might go, they would feel unsafe. Uh, they are still sheltering there. I talked with a person in the West Bank also. He was uh, he, he explained me that uh, the Christians in Gaza have relatives in the West Bank. So when that building next to St. Porphyrius uh, Church was bombed, actually their relatives who were in the West Bank couldn't, of course, go to the funerals or, or assist or help their relatives uh, in, in that situation. So the situation is, is very complicated. That's it's right. very, yeah, it is, it is terrible. And um, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing for us to understand, we who are so mobile, uh, to understand that mobility is not easy there. Um, I think we've, it's been described enough now in these, in these months, um, this, this past month, that how difficult it is. But why would Christians choose to stay even now uh, in Gaza, for example? It, 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 there has been some opportunity to leave. Is it that they have nowhere to go? Is it that they're afraid of not being able to come back? Tell me a little bit more of what you know about why they would choose to stay. Okay, so the Christians in Gaza used to be much more. They used to be around 5,000. Now they are just 1,000. So a lot of them have already left Gaza. And those who are now in Gaza are the remaining Christian community. Mm -hmm. And I believe that a lot of people like what happened in Lebanon during the civil war or what happened in Iraq during the Iraqi war or in Syria, there will always be persons that would choose to stay in their homeland. And as Pope Francis says in one of his uh, letters about uh, refugees, he says this should be 
a human right uh, to to help people to stay in their homeland. So so they are deciding to stay uh, because they were born there, they they grew up there, and and it means a lot for them, of course, to stay in, the, of course, in this land. And I understand. You uh, wrote a story, or I guess you probably edited this story. Mm-hmm. You are not the author. Uh, it did very well at Catholic News Agency and uh, at the National Catholic Register. It was titled, or, or part of the title is, South Lebanon is a Volcano in Motion. Of course, you are Lebanese. You, you're mm. based in Rome. You write mostly about the Vatican, but you do edit um, this content. Why is Lebanon such a volcano right now? In, in, in I'd like to know more about other parts of the region, too, but let's start with Lebanon. Uh, so since uh, the 7th of October um, uh, attack on on uh, on Israel happened the, on the southern borders of Lebanon, uh, which is the northern border of Israel. There were uh, there was and there still be, there is still until today a clash and the bombing from two sides from Hezbollah, who is in based in Lebanon, and from the Israeli uh, army. And uh, Hezbollah has explained. Uh, the leader of Hezbollah, Hassan Nasrallah, has explained last week that they are doing this, uh, he explicitly said, in order to help Hamas, because in this way uh, the Israel, Israel's military is holding a third of his soldiers next to the Lebanese borders insa- instead of sending them to Gaza. Uh, half of its navy is also uh, near Lebanon, and so they are trying trying to help in some way uh, Hamas uh, from being uh, totally uh, destroyed, uh, and and they are trying to give them uh, this help. And this has uh, has had uh, very difficult uh, consequences on the Lebanese living uh, thousand Lebanon uh, thousands have moved uh, to uh, to uh, to to other parts of Lebanon to Mount Lebanon to Mount Lebanon for example and a lot of them are also Christians who had to leave their sure. uh, their hometowns and and cities you know talking about uh, the, the broader situation facing Christians in the Middle East and the Near East um, I know that you are also very familiar with the situation facing them in Syria and Iraq yes. uh, what is going on there so in Syria um, uh, the situation is also uh, war ha- has not ended yet in Syria, as you already know, and Christians are still facing the war consequences. So, uh, our correspondent in Syria told me today that uh, 85% of the Syrian population today is receiving help from associations and from 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 several parts, w- which means they cannot. Maintain. They cannot pay for their for for their own living. For example, uh, uh, the the medium salary of a government employee in Syria is around fifteen dollars, which is nothing. So they cannot afford the cost of living. Uh, Christians there have been facing the war, its consequences, its economic consequences, and they also faced last year the earthquake who hit northern Syria and southern Turkey. They are not in in a good situation. They are suffering a lot because of this. And um, yeah, it's... 
It's I, a via crucis, and it's, it's also happening. And it's also yes. happening in Iraq. Oh, I was going to ask you. I mean, you are today. We have been this week um, talking about our audiences. We've mm. been sharing with all of the WTN news uh, uh, agencies. We've been talking about our audiences and what we do, what we cover, and your people that your readers they face such a plight how do you maintain faith how do you maintain hope what holds the christian community together in this region um the christian community uh, yes has faced all these difficulties but it has been now part of uh, of the christians community own story. Um, I had the opportunity of reading in the last uh, several years uh, a lot about the history of Christians, about the Arab Christians, and it has almost always been like this. So, uh, it's your roots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it has. So some of the Christians will leave, some other will decide to, uh, to stay, and uh, they're gonna face all the consequences of war, like like the rest of the population, like the rest of the population. Sure. But since they are Christians, in a uh, when there is fanatism or terrorism, they will face more consequences. And uh, what what maintains them together is uh, their Christian hope, their Christian hope, and uh, the church has been always calling for resilience and for resistance, to resist and stay. And I believe it is important to keep supporting the Christian community in the Middle East because it is an Arab-speaking community that could bring Christ to a region that really needs yes. reconciliation, forgiveness, and, and, and a, a deep speech about love and charity. And a figure of that is Saint Charbel Makhlouf. Yes. Talk a little bit about him, because I think at this moment we need him now more than ever. For sure. Uh, Saint Charbel has uh, been a huge help for a lot of Christians, especially in Lebanon. Um, the sanctuary of his uh, of Saint Charbel in Annaya, where his tomb is, uh, has become in the past decades for sure one of the most visit visited places in Lebanon. Every time a Christian or even a lot of Muslims because Saint Sherbel uh, does a lot of miracles every year and almost every year 10% of these miracles are uh, are Muslim people who wow. were healed by Saint Sherbel. So uh, Saint Sherbel's tomb um, uh, has become a place where every Lebanese almost uh, bring his 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 misery, his uh, his suffering, and and express it in front of the tomb of Saint Charbel and hopes he will or she will get uh, healed or 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 at least some consolation, uh, uh, heavenly consolation, for sure. Well, Saint Charbel, pray for us. Yes. Elias Turk, we are grateful for your presence here and for your own witness to faith you. as you report uh, uh, for your people. Thank you. Thank you very much. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us on Register Radio here on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello, and until next week, I pray God bless you.